0: At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives.
1: Good morning, good morning. We've not had the opportunity to meet. My name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I am one of the pastors here uh, at Gospel Community Church, and this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, this morning, church family, we have gathered here together, we have collected as one body, as one family, to worship a first-century Galilean peasant whom we believe rose from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth never traveled that far from his hometown. Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus never started a business or made a fortune. Jesus never went to college or had a wife and kids. Jesus never was a leader of a political party. He was not even well-known on the world stage during his lifetime. The Bible records for us that Jesus was mocked, that Jesus was murdered, that Jesus' enemies killed him in an intentional way so that he would be disgraced. And shamed. He was pronounced dead by a professional executioner. And then he was placed in a tomb, and that tomb was covered with a stone. And on the stone was a seal, and outside of it was Roman guards. But he did not stay in that tomb. Are y'all with me today? He did not stay in that tomb. He didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he was raised up by God the Father. He was raised back to life, and he was seen by his disciples on multiple occasions. As a matter of fact, those disciples report that not only did they eat with him, but they touched his physical body. Not only his disciples saw him, but 500 other people at one time saw him back to life. In addition, people who didn't want to see him saw him back to life namely the Apostle Paul, whom Jesus appeared to after his, after, his resurre- after his resurrection. So as a result of this, more books have been written about him, more songs have been dedicated to Jesus, more paintings have been painted of him than any other person in all of human history. He is the most studied figure in history, period, paragraph. Jesus is worshiped worldwide. People from every creed, every economic status, every background call him Savior and Lord and devote their lives to him. And so this morning, we are faced with the reality of this man, Jesus Christ, and we are forced to ask this question, a question that we cannot afford not to ask. The question is, who is, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, <laughs> there are plenty of opinions, plenty of thoughts on, on who this man, Jesus, is. Some say that Jesus is the ultimate social justice warrior. Some say that Jesus is a socialist, or that Jesus was a radical feminist. Some say that he was at very least a democratic socialist. There are other people that say that Jesus was a Republican, a right-wing conservative, if there ever was one, who stood for American values. Others maintain that that Jesus was anti-authoritarian. He stood for individualism and libertarian values. You, you, You have both sides. Some people would view Jesus as a revolutionary, other other people would view him as, as maybe a, a pacifist. You see, the truth is, when you pull some of Jesus' sayings out of context, you can pretty much make Jesus into whoever you want. Us humans, we, we love to reshape and reimagine Jesus into our own image instead of getting it from the Word of God itself. You see, in Islam, Jesus is a prophet. But not as great as the prophet Muhammad. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you believe that Jesus is the highest and greatest being, but he is the created being. Yeah. He is not eternal. Or if you believe, as the Mormons believe, Jesus is the firstborn spirit child of God the Father from his spiritual wives. Or Jesus often shows up in pop culture. We know many opinions of Jesus from pop culture. He shows up in the musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, he shows up in the film, The Passion of the Christ. He even shows up in episodes of The Simpsons and South Park. Church family, with, with all of those differing views, here's what I'm here to tell you. If you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say this. There is a right and wrong view of Jesus. There's a, there's a right and wrong. So out of that big giant list, there are people in that list that are wrong. And so, what we must understand is that we cannot reshape and reimagine Jesus into who we want him to be. We must turn to the Word of God and see who he proclaims himself to be from the Word of God. And so, let let us get away from these silly notions of, well, you know, he can be to you whoever you need him to be. Or whatever you believe about him might be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. How can that statement even be true? If there is no such thing as truth, how can the statement, there's no such thing as truth, be true? So, this morning, <clears throat> Jesus cannot be just some moral teacher. Let us hear very clearly, Jesus refuses to be a part of your political party because Jesus is about his self to be God. Jesus cannot be just a good and moral teacher because Jesus declared himself to be God and told people that he could give them eternal life. Jesus said that you must love him more than you love your own family. That doesn't sound like a very good moral teacher to me. How about this? Jesus cannot be just a prophet. Because Jesus says that he's more than just someone with a word from God. Jesus declares himself to be the very word of God itself. And so this morning, let me declare to you based on the authority of Scripture, historical fact, and reason that Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the universe. He is the sovereign God over all. Jesus commands all forces, natural and supernatural. All kings and rulers will kneel down to King Jesus. Everything that has happened, everything that will happen is according to his plan and to his purpose. And 2,000 years ago, the God-man stepped into human history. He put on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died to death that we should have died in our place for our sins so that we might be saved from the wrath of God. That's who who Jesus is. And so, I want you to write this down. How we live should be based on who he is. How we live should be based on who he is. And so if you're going to go with the idea that Jesus is just a nice moral teacher then how you would live is you would pick and choose from the things that he has to say, the things that are valuable to you, and the things that are uncomfortable or maybe even offensive. You leave those things aside, and that's how you live. But if he is God in the flesh, if he has bought you with a price, then you do not belong to you. You belong to him, and therefore you live how he says live. And so if he is the sovereign God of the universe, if Jesus has really designed this whole system and is calling you to take up your cross and he's promising you that if you do, if you will deny yourself and take up your cross, then you will find the very center and beauty of ultimate human flourishing. Wouldn't you do that? Doesn't that make the most sense? If he is, if he is who he said he is. So because he is God, because he saves, because he rules over all, because he has called us out of darkness into light, we now should then live for him. And so the question that we're gonna be faced in our text today is is this does your life belong to him? Does your life belong to Jesus? Now, I'm not asking you if you show up to church occasionally. I'm not asking you if you volunteer in a ministry. I'm not asking you if you read your Bible or if you're not too busy, you might even have a quiet time. I'm not asking you that at all. What I'm asking you is, does every aspect of your life belong to him? Is every area in your life being brought under his kingship? To ask it another way, like him, have you taken up your cross or listen to this? Listen to this question. Does your life repeatedly and continually show dedication to the point of deep suffering for the cause of Christ? Does your is that you? Am I talking about you this morning? Look at it again. Does your life repeatedly and continually show dedication to the point of deep suffering? for the cause of Christ. That's what it means to deny yourself. That's what it means to take up your cross. And that's what we're gonna see in our text today. Well, let's look at our outline this morning. A few things we'll see. First, we're gonna see the identity of Jesus. Did you see that little exchange in the beginning of our text? We're gonna see the identity of Jesus. Second, Secondly, we'll see the mission The mission of Jesus in verses 21 and 22. Thirdly, this this call of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross. That's the call of Jesus that we'll see in verse 23 all by itself. And then lastly, verse 4, the reward of Jesus, the reward of taking up your cross and following him. So that's what we'll see in our text today. Again, the identity of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the call of Jesus, and the reward of Jesus. Are you all with me this morning? I'm about ready to turn up. Here we go. Number one, the identity of Jesus. Verse 18. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Jesus prays at these really pivotal moments in his ministry. We see him, Luke records him praying at his baptism. Luke records him praying in the garden before he's crucified. Luke records him praying on the cross. All of these really pivotal moments in the ministry, in the life of Jesus, we find him praying. And here we find him praying again. He's praying alone. The disciples aren't praying with him, but they're, they're there with him, and Jesus is praying. We can only assume that the question that he is about to ask, he is praying deep in his spirit that they get the right answer. He, he wants them to answer this question correctly because it, it is so pivotal to his life and to his ministry. The, the disciples kind of understand and, and see who it is. Now, Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he said to them, who do the crowds say that I am? He doesn't start with them. He doesn't point the question directly at them yet. He will do that, but not yet. He, he, he's kind of taking this, this step backwards, asking this very general question before he points it directly at them. Who do the crowds say that I am? And, and they answered. Now, we know this answer. Didn't we hear this answer last week from Herod? They answered John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and some say some of the prophets of old. So the, the first is John. You, you have to understand like how, how much the people loved John the Baptizer. I mean, they, they loved this guy. He, he had this massive ministry. They, they loved him. The people, the people loved John so much that when Herod has him beheaded, we talked about that last week, Herod is actually afraid of the people. He's afraid of their reaction, what they're gonna do. That's how popular John was. And so this is this is a good thing that they're saying about Jesus. He he might be John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Or, or how about Elijah? One of the prophets of old? This this particular prophet is identified in the Old Testament as one of the prophets who will show up on the scene before the Messiah comes. Like the the Messiah is coming. They're, they're all waiting, longing for the Messiah to come, and they're looking at Jesus and going, he might be Elijah, the guy that's going to show up before the Messiah comes. That, that's, that's positive. It's not, it's not a negative thing. Well, well, they also say that he might be, maybe not Elijah, but another one of the prophets of old. Again, a, a great, positive encouraging. This is a nice thing. What the crowds believe about Jesus is that he is a good and positive moral teacher that could be of some help. That's what what they believe. All of these are positive descriptions about his identity, just like most people in our culture believe. They have a good positive picture of Jesus as a good moral teacher, as humble and gentle, and Jesus the one who stands for the outcast. You know, Jesus taught us all about love and harmony, and all of those things are true, but the problem is those positive descriptions don't go far enough. They're not going far enough. People don't take Jesus far enough. They'd say, oh, he's a good positive moral teacher. He has some interesting things to say that you might be able to apply to your life, and they're not taking him seriously. They're not taking him far enough. Just imagine if you said to me, uh, Kirk, tell us, <clears throat> tell us about your wife, Chelsea. Who, who is she? And I was to say, well, Chelsea, my wife, she's a very special lady in my life, just like many of the other special women in my life. <laughs> it's already getting hotter in here. <clears throat> What if I were to say that, well, Chelsea, she's a beautiful woman in a long line of other beautiful women? <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you, church family, it wouldn't go well for me. It, 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 would, not, it, <laughs> it would not go very well. Why? Well, because Chelsea my, is my wife, meaning she is in a class all by herself. She is my one and only. She is my best friend, not one of many. In the same way, if you're taking notes, Jesus is in a class all by himself. No one is like him. No one supersedes him, and he is preeminent. So, so we can't just say that, oh, he's just he's in the long line of some of these prophets. He, he's just like one of them. No, no, no. He is in a class all by himself. And watch the transition here as he takes this question from a 30,000-foot, who do they say that I am, and he points it directly at these Men, Look at verse 20, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? He's he's standing there with all of them. They're they're all there. Who do you, this you is plural if we're translating this into our our, our southern accents here. Who do do y'all say that I am? I I hear what you're saying, who they out there, the crowds out there, but who do y'all, the 12, who do y'all say that I am? He takes this question and and points it directly at them. I, I, can you imagine? I just want you to see this moment in your mind of, of this conversation to where Jesus then takes the question and points it directly at them. I imagine the, the pause between Jesus asking the question and Peter answering the question. I imagine that, that pause there, that silence was just absolutely deafening. In my mind, I see the halls of heaven and all the angels leaning in, all of creation, leaning in to see, are they going to get it right? These guys have just dropped the ball a thousand times. I mean, they just can't seem to get it right. Are they going to get this one right? And here it is, the answer from none other than Peter, (laughs) the disciple that constantly has his foot in his mouth. Peter says this, and Peter answered, here it is, church family, the Christ of God. If you want to know the identity of who Jesus is, he is not Someone that we can create and mold into our own image. He is who the Bible says that he is and declared here by Peter, the Christ of God. Peter says, you are the Messiah that we have been looking for. This word here, Christ, is a Greek word. You know what this Greek word means? It means the anointed one. So in the Greek, this word Christ means the anointed one, but when it is translated into Hebrew, it is translated as Messiah. He... What Peter is saying is that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that is to come. If you're getting that picture in your mind from the Old Testament, as they would usher in a new king, what would they do to that king? Well, they would take a jar of oil and they would anoint him. They would anoint his head or as a priest would be welcomed into the priesthood, they would anoint that priest. And and so what they're saying by calling him not just a Christ or a Messiah, but saying that he is... The, the king of kings of God is saying he is not in a long line of other kings. He is the king of kings. He is anointed as the great high priest. He, he is not one of many, but he is the, the one and only Christ of God. Now, here's the problem. <clears throat> These men, as they call him Christ or as they call him Messiah, are doing what many of us do. They are importing in from their culture a definition that does not line up with the scripture. (laughs) Well, you can understand a bit how they could be confused. Have you read the Old Testament and how it talks about the Messiah? The, The Messiah is this figure who is a conquering king. He's a conquering king who is coming to restore Israel. And so what these men are looking for is a military and political leader who's going to come in who's going to overthrow rome get them out from up underneath roman rule and restore israel back to a prominent place in the in the political landscape they're going to be a prosperous nation again not under roman rule talks about that's what they're that's what they're thinking because that is certainly how the old testament talks about the messiah but what they also forgot is that the old testament also speaks of this messiah as being a suffering servant. It speaks of him taking on our transgressions. It it speaks of him being whipped and beaten for our iniquities. It it speaks of a Messiah who is so marred that, that we couldn't even look upon him. It speaks of him as the cornerstone that the builders rejected. They forgot that part. They didn't want to see that part. They wanted the military leader and king. And so Jesus, as he accepts the title of Messiah, he's not telling that he's not the Messiah. He's affirming that he is the Christ. He will affirm that he is the Messiah. But while he does that, he's also going to clarify, because they, they, they are confused, he's going to clarify his mission. Let's look at it together. Secondly, in our outline, the mission of Jesus And look at verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Well, Jesus, that seems very counterproductive. Uh, If you're trying to start a world religion and spread the good news of the gospel to the world, you probably should tell people that you're the Messiah. He strictly charges them to tell no one. Now, why would he do that? Well, as we've just explained, the disciples and also the crowds don't understand what the Messiah's mission is. They think that the Messiah is gonna be the political military leader. They're not looking for the suffering servant Messiah. They're looking for the political military leading Messiah. As a matter of fact, after the feeding of the 5,000, didn't we just get done seeing that? After the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter six, you know what it says? After he feeds the crowds, the crowds sought to come and take him by force, And guess what? Make him king. Now, what would have happened to Jesus if at John chapter 6, they would have made Jesus king? Well, the Romans would have come in and killed him, and in John chapter 7, the book would be over. (laughs) Right? Jesus has a specific plan. He has specific things that he needs to accomplish, and he needs to accomplish those things before he dies. So he, he is slowing down the outflow of the message of his Messiahship. And so again, to be as clear as we can, evil men killed Jesus, but they did not take his life. Jesus laid it down. Verse 21 says, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one, saying, look at verse 22, saying, the son of man, this is Jesus' favorite title that he gives to himself. Jesus calls himself the son of man more than he calls himself anything else. He is picking up this title from where? Do you know? Daniel chapter seven, where it says that the, the son of man was seated before the ancient of days and all glory and power and dominion and authority was given to the son of man. Jesus is declaring his deity. He is declaring that he is God. He's declaring he's Christ the Messiah. Saying the son of man, here's Jesus' mission. Are you ready? The son of man must. Don't skip over that word. The son of man must. This is what he has to do. He can't not do this. This was ordained God. He didn't accidentally go to the cross. The son of man must, four things. Here they are. Suffer, be rejected by the elders and the chief priest, be killed and raised. This he just explained who he was, his identity, he accepts the title from Peter, I am the Christ, then he follows that up by calling himself the son of man. He's, this is his identity. Now he's explaining his mission, his fourfold mission, to suffer, be rejected, to be killed, and to be raised. He, he suffered as they bounced him from false trial to false trial and gave him false accusation after false accusation. He suffered as they punched him in the face and beat the crown of thorns onto his head. He was rejected. All the, the scribes and the chief priests and everyone that he went before, they rejected him as a as a nuisance, as a pain, as, as somebody who's getting in the way of our religious system. We've got to get this guy out of here. He was rejected again. He is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. So he suffered, he was rejected, and then he was killed. He was killed in the most excruciating way a human could ever be killed. That is Roman execution, taking hours to slowly bleed out and suffocate to death. He was killed, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised up out of the grave by God. And this is his mission. this is what he came to do. So church family, make no mistake about his identity and make no mistake about his mission. If you're taking notes, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to die on a cross and be raised on the third day. That's who he is. And that's what he came to do. So listen very carefully. Jesus is not simply a moral teacher or a good-look charm. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Jesus did not come to promote your political party. Jesus did not come to affirm your sexual orientation. Jesus did not come to make you wealthy, healthy, and happy. He did not come so that you could live safe in a suburban neighborhood or to tell you that you're just okay the way that you are. Jesus came to suffer, to be killed, and to be raised from the dead. The reason that this is so important, the reason that I want you to remember this, the reason I'm belaboring this, the reason I'm saying this and emphasizing this is because we should live based on who he is. So, Which is why the third point of our outline is so important. Everything that I've just said is so that I can say this. Everything that that Jesus just went over, everything that he just covered, namely his identity and his mission, is so that he can give us this call. Are you ready for the call from verse 23? Look at verse 23 together with me. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself deny myself? Yes. Followers of Jesus deny themselves. Although Jesus is is although he is completely holy and free from sin, Jesus's life still functions as a pattern for his disciples. It functions as a pattern for us. Namely, Jesus is the chief one who denies himself. So in a world, in a culture that says love yourself, protect yourself, affirm yourself, Jesus says, deny yourself. What does this mean? Well, write this down. To deny yourself means renouncing of our plans and our purposes for our own lives. To deny yourself is a, is a renunciation it is to renounce your plans and your purposes for your life. To say it a very, a very simple way, it means that the question that governs your life is, does Jesus want me to do this? As, as opportunities come your way, job opportunities, uh, single folks in the room, it, as, as maybe a spouse opportunity comes your way, um, as as decisions that need to be made about your marriage, decisions that need to be made about your children, decisions that need to be made about your finances, the question that you're asked is, does Jesus want me to do this? Is this what what Jesus would have me do? Is this the most faithful thing to the building of his kingdom, not to the building of my kingdom? Do, Do you see how that is renouncing your own personal plans and your own personal purpose? You say, it's not about me. It's about him, and it's about his... His kingdom. Again, I was bought with the price, 1 Corinthians 6. I, I don't belong to me. It's so interesting. John Calvin has this to say. He says self-denial is the sum of the Christian life. <laughs> it's like like, man, the, the Christian life feels really complex, doesn't it? The, the Christian life has, has so many uh, strands and so many threads, and, and it's and it so contextual and, and, and cumbersome. And, cum- and John Calvin says, nope, the sum of the Christian life, self-denial. But that's not all that he tells us to do here. That's not the only call from Jesus, which is self-denial. He does tell us to deny ourselves, but look at this. And take up his cross daily. So the, the, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about a literal cross, although Peter was crucified upside down according to church history. The, this cross would not atone or justify anyone. Jesus is pointing to a symbol of death. I believe that, that modern Christianity has become so callous to the cross. We, we, we see it hanging in our churches, but we don't understand the, the cultural significance of what it means when Jesus said this to them. Don't you understand? These men had literally seen people crucified. That they had seen what the, the devastation of, of the Roman government on criminals as they were nailed to pieces of wood and left to die and be eaten by birds and shamed and mocked. Don't you understand how grotesque and horrible this picture of the cross is? And Jesus tells them. In that day and age, in that cultural context, within their minds, the picture of of seeing people literally crucified in rows down the roads of Rome. He tells them, take up your cross daily and follow me. What what in the world does this mean? Well, again, of course, I've already said it's a symbol of death, but what kind of death are we talking about? Well, it is certainly a death to sin. It is certainly a discovering the idols you have in your heart. Listen to me. You are an idol factory. Your heart is generating and churning out all types of other things to worship other than God. And so taking up your cross, very easily stated, very simply stated, is finding those idols, killing them, and putting Jesus back in his rightful place. It is killing sin. It is It is realizing that there are clear things in the Bible that Jesus says this is sin. It is not for optimal human flourishing. Don't do that, and yet we still do it. And taking up your cross is finding those things and killing them. So it's certainly uh, taking up your cross is death to sin, but it is also death to comfort. Help me today. What One of our biggest idols, it is death to comfort. Because listen to me, sharing your life with people in the church is uncomfortable. Giving generously is uncomfortable. Committing to serve in a ministry is uncomfortable. How about this? Forgiving someone who has wronged you is uncomfortable. And that is a part of taking up your cross. It is a death to self-centeredness. If someone has what I believe I deserve, anybody today, We kill jealousy. That's what we do. In that moment, if I'm not acknowledged for my efforts or if I'm not invited into what I perceive to be the cool crowd, I'll kill bitterness. That's what taking up your cross means. It's a it's a death to revenge. That's what taking up your cross means. It, It means I don't have to retaliate when someone attacks me. Help me today. I'm stepping on too many people's toes. I better move on. It means I don't retaliate. With those who have wronged me. You see, Jesus' death was ultimately in service to his followers. So if you're talking about taking up your cross, Jesus' death was ultimately in service to his followers. And so if you're taking notes, daily cross bearing is a life of painful, underline that, yet loving service to others. Isn't that a description of the cross? Isn't that a description of what Jesus did? It was a painful, excruciating service to others as Jesus dies in our place for our sins. And so for us, cross-bearing, taking up our cross, means that we painfully yet lovingly serve other people. With our time, with our talent, with our treasure, we give it away. It begins in our homes as we love and serve and lay down the right to be right in our home. As we serve our spouse, as we serve our children. But then it extends out to the, the body of believers. As we serve the other people who are members of this church. As we give of ourselves. It extends out to our coworkers. As, as we just love and serve people. And they're like, you are weird. <laughs> and you say, I certainly am. I, I'm taking up my cross as best I can. And then it extends out even to the world. So the call of Jesus is to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and to follow him. And so I pose the question to you yet again, the question that I've asked now for the third time, does your life repeatedly and continually show dedication to the point of deep suffering for the cause of Christ? What I'm about to say next is so incredibly important. If you don't hear what I say next, you'll misunderstand the entire sermon, and you'll also misunderstand the entirety of this text. If you're taking notes, you need to understand this. Denying yourself and taking up your cross does not make you a Christian. But it is how Christians live. What makes you a Christian is when God the Father sends the power of the Holy Spirit over you to remove the scales from your eyes, to take a dead heart and make it alive. Once you are made alive, you're regenerated, you see the beauty of Jesus for who he is and for his glory, and you follow him in repentance and conversion. And at that point, you are justified and you begin your journey of sanctification. So it is a, it is a work of the Holy Spirit that makes you a Christian, But as you enter into that journey of progressive sanctification, that that process of daily killing sin and becoming more like Christ, that's what that fancy word progressive sanctification means. But as you enter into that progressive sanctification, that's what that is, denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. But it's not as if denying yourself and taking up your cross, that's what makes you a Christian, as if I've bore my cross enough for Jesus to accept me. He's already bore the cross. He doesn't need us to bear the cross so that we'd be accepted by the Father. That's what he did. So, so all of this self-denial, all of this cross-bearing is not so that you would be accepted by God. It's because you already are accepted by God. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so that God would love you. It's because he already does. Yes. That's so important at understanding this very text. Now, what I want us to see now is then the reward of Jesus. <laughs> So we've seen his identity, his mission. We've seen this call to us, which is to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But now let's look at the reward. The reward of self-denial. The reward of cross-bearing. Fourthly, the reward of Jesus. Now, Jesus provides an initiative or a motivation for following him. So this is the result of living our lives based on who he is. Now, I'm getting that from the word for. Do you see that there in verses 24, 25, and 26? All three of those verses begin with the word for. So, so get the flow of the argument. Can you see it? Here's who I am. I am the Messiah, Jesus proclaims. Here's what I've come to do. I've come to suffer. I've come to die. I've come to raise again. And I'm calling you to then take up your cross and follow me. For, or when you take up your cross and follow me, Because you, here it is, here's the reward, and it's threefold. Three fours in 24, 25, and 26, and a threefold reward. That is eternal life, eternal gain, and lastly, eternal glory. Let's look at them together. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So uh, in in this wording here that Jesus is using, to save your own life means to reject self-denial. To save your life, save your own life, means to reject cross-bearing. Get that out of here. That's that's what that means. But if you lose your life, the loss of life here meaning self-denial, cross-bearing, if you do that, You gain your life. You get life eternal with him forever. That's what you get. That's the reward. The reward for self-denial and the reward for cross-bearing is eternal life. The American martyr and missionary name was Jim Elliott. Listen to what he has to say. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to get what he cannot lose. What Jim Elliott's saying there is, I can't keep my life. It's not, it's not mine. I can't keep it. So, so you're not a fool if you give up your life because you can't keep it, especially if you get something eternal, <laughs> especially if you get this forever kingdom with him, that kind of life. I mean, it, it becomes a no-brainer at that point is what Jim Elliott has to say, who did, in fact, die for the cause of Christ look at verse 25 the the next reward there for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself other parts would say uh, forfeits his soul but can you imagine like it's hard for us to imagine like the wealth that some people have i don't need to name them you you guys know enough right like to to see the cars they drive and the houses they live in and Man, just like, that is so, I, I can't, it's hard for me to even think about how much money that guy has. Or like the fact that if he did his best to spend it all, that guy or that gal could never even spend it if they tried to, there's too much of it. And what and what that person of that, that you're thinking, what G doesn't even have all the wealth in the world. They just have this portion of it. What Jesus is saying here is imagine you had the entire world. Like you, I mean, all, like It all belonged to you, period. You're not sharing wealth with anybody. All the wealth in the entire world is yours. And he's saying that if you choose that, if you say, I'm not into self-denial, I'm not into cross-bearing, I would rather have ease, comfort, and excess in this life, he's saying that's a bad deal. <laughs> he's, that's, that's not a good trade. Because what you're giving up, is eternal gain. What you have over here is uh, what average age expectancy, 70, 80, something like that, 74, whatever it is. 75 years of excess uh, and ease and comfort and safe suburban neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff, you know, nice family with the picket fence and, you know, Instagram family life, you know, here we are, cheese, everything's great and nice. You're trading 75 years of that. That's what you wanna keep instead of eternal gain. He's saying it doesn't make any sense. That, that's his point. So we get eternal life. We get eternal gain, which is life with Christ. That, that's, the, that's the gain. And then lastly, eternal glory. Look at 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Well, don't you know that Jesus means that the opposite then is also true? When we're not ashamed of him, when we are self-denying, when we are cross-bearing, that when he comes in his glory, he will give us eternal glory. How do I know that? Well, because I believe Romans 8, don't you? That that Jesus says, for those who I have called, I've also predestined. And those whom I predestined, I also justified. And those whom I have justified, I will also glorify. And so when Jesus returns in his glory, he shares his glory with us. That is, when he returns with his perfected resurrection body, <laughs> when he returns and kills all of his enemies and ushers in the kingdom of God where there will be no more crying, no more sin, no more shame, no more pain He says, you're gonna get that too. That's the eternal glory that you get for self-denying and cross-bearing. That's his promise. That's his promise in church family. You can trust him. You can trust him for that promise. So then the reward, the gift, the blessing, eternal life, eternal gain, and eternal glory, that's that's what we get for cross-bearing. Look at this last verse, and then I'm out of your hair. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The commentators have fun with this one, y'all. <laughs> what in the world is Jesus talking about? right? I, I read until my eyes hurt. <laughs> uh, all the differing opinions of what, what, what does he mean? right? Well, he certainly doesn't mean that those men will see that final coming kingdom that I was talking about. How do we know? Because we're still waiting for it. So he didn't mean that. But to understand the deep and rich theological concept of the kingdom would take me about 80 more sermons to try to explain. The, the kingdom of God, uh, again, is a deep and rich theological concept which, which has many views and, and many angles in it. So what in the world or what, what specifically here is Jesus pointing us to? Well, let me give you a couple options. One could be the resurrection. The, the coming kingdom is shown in the resurrected Christ, and those men certainly saw the resurrected Christ. Did they not? Well, of course they did. Well, he could also mean the ascension. Isn't that Jesus taking his throne? Isn't that the coming kingdom? Well, it certainly is. And those men saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Well, isn't a part of the coming kingdom the fullness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? So is Jesus then saying, you guys are gonna see the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire resting on their heads and they speak in tongues and preach and people get saved So what is it? What's he referring to here about? They're they're not going to die until they see the kingdom of God. Well, here's my opinion. All of of those options that I just gave you could be true, but to me it seems to make the most sense in the context of this text. What's going to happen next? The transfiguration is about to happen. Jesus is telling them, this is who I am, the Messiah, He's telling them, here's my mission. I've come to die. I've come to resurrect from the grave. Here's what I'm calling you to do, disciples. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Here's all your rewards. And then he says, you're going to see the kingdom. You're going to see this reward, this reward that I promised you. And you're going to see a preview of it in the transfiguration. As his unveiled glory is shown to Peter, James, and John. Incredible. Incredible. Okay, I need to get out of the way. Here we go. I want to ask you again by way of application, does your life repeatedly and continually show dedication to the point of deep suffering for the cause of Christ? That's the question. Let me speak to those who would answer that question no. So again, I'm asking the question, does your life repeatedly and continually show that you are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And let me speak to those who would say, no. Here's what I want to say to you. All I'm going to do is just read a parable of Jesus to you. Luke chapter 12, I'll start in verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist of abundance and of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the point of application for those who would say, no, I'm not willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Verse 20 in chapter 12. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up for himself treasures and is not rich toward God. That's all the application that I have for you. I do have a point of application for those who would say yes. Okay? Okay. Does your life repeatedly and continually show dedication to the point of deep suffering for the cause of Christ? If you're saying this morning yes, not perfectly. Right? Not perfectly, but but as best as I can with the help of the Holy Spirit, I really am trying to deny myself and take up my cross. If that's you today, here is my word of encouragement, you are not crazy. You're not crazy. Every moment of suffering for the cause of Christ will be repaid to you. Every sacrifice that you make for him, for his name, and for his kingdom, he will repay tenfold, a thousandfold, a millionfold, he will repay you for what you sacrifice for him. You are not crazy to serve your church. You are not crazy to tell your kids about the gospel. You are not crazy to share your faith with your coworker. You are not crazy to give so that the gospel continues to go out. You are not crazy because Jesus will return. He will usher in his kingdom and you will receive your reward. Amen. You're not crazy. Romans eight eighteen says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's, it's not, it's not going to matter. The things that you sacrifice will not matter when Jesus returns. You will be glad you did it. You'll be glad you won't regret it for one moment. So, how should we live? Well, we should live our lives based on who he is, because he's God, because he saves, because he rules over all, because he called us out of darkness and into light, and now he is calling us to live for him. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for this great text which you have preserved for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowered these men to write these words down to be carried by the church and delivered to us in your holy word. Lord, I pray that we would consider seriously who you are, the sovereign God of the universe. We would consider deeply this morning your mission, that is to die and to be raised from the dead. And with all heart's earnesty, we would stare deeply into the face of your call to deny ourselves and take up your cross. Oh God, that we would look forward and find motivation in the reward which you set before us. And we would not be like foolish men who build up treasures in this life. But we would look towards you and have treasures in heaven. We ask and pray all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.